Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Well, good morning. It is so good to see each of you here. I uh, hope you had a great 4th of July holiday. I know some of you are in occupations where you still had to go to work, and if that's the case, I'm so sorry. I hope you were able to get some rest maybe later on, but um, glad to see that you are back, or if you're watching online, maybe that you're tuning in with us from the beach, or maybe you went to the mountains or the lake, but, but wherever you are, whether you're in the room here or you're watching online, it's so good to have you here with us this morning. Now, my name is Misty, and I've not had the opportunity to meet all of you yet. I've met a lot of you. Um, But my husband and I are starting our fourth year here at One Hope, and we have loved every moment of being here. And so um, it's great to be able to be in a place that feels like home. And so if you are newer, I hope you feel like this can be home for you like it has been for um, my husband Andrew and for me. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And I love this book. It's been one of my favorite books for a while. But as I've read through it this summer, there's been a couple things that I've noticed that have been uh, sticking out to me that I hadn't noticed before. Most of us might know that the book of Philippians is known as a book of joy. We know that Paul was writing this while he was in prison, and so being able to talk about the joy that is available to us even in the midst of some pretty crummy circumstances is something that sticks out chapter after chapter. But something else that I hadn't realized until reading through it this summer is really the thread of humility that's woven throughout each of these chapters. Chapter 1, Paul is talking about how it doesn't matter how Christ's name gets proclaimed, whether it's his doing, whether people are doing it out of bad motives. What matters is that the name of Jesus is being cast out and people are hearing about him. And that takes a lot of humility to be able to say, it's not about me, it's about the name of Jesus. But then like Bradley read, for chapter 2, we see Jesus' humility and how he didn't consider the fact that he was equal to God, fully God, while fully man. And he chose to not use that power that he had as God, but yet he humbled himself as a servant. And so as we get ready to read in chapter 3 and then later on chapter 4, I would challenge you to be looking for those places where we see that thread of humility woven throughout. Now, last week, Pastor Kalikas finished up on chapter 2, and if you've been reading some on your own, you might notice that there's a little gap of scripture that Kalikas did not cover last week, and I'm not covering it today. So let me tell you what's happening so that you don't think we're just skipping over a chunk of God's word. In chapter 2, right at the end, Paul is writing, and he's telling the church at Philippi, thank you so much for sending Epaphroditus, the one who's brought those gifts, the one that he's there and supporting and resourcing him. And I'm going to send him back to you. He's like, but I also want to send back at some point my protege, Timothy. And so at some point, we're going to be able to send these guys back to you. Can't wait to send them to you. And it's kind of like he just takes this little side note, this little detour to talk about his friends, Epaphroditus and Timothy. And so after that, then he jumps right back in kind of to where he left off in chapter three, which is Paul write just one letter, but we have it broken in our Bibles into these different chapters. And so where we're going to pick up now is kind of where he picks back up after this little side note of, I want to send a Tim- uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus back to you. So if you've got your Bibles, or if you want to pull the Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, or if you want to open your phones up, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So this is our scripture section for this morning, verses 1 through 11. And as we study this passage of scripture, there's two things that I want to accomplish. The first thing that I want to do is I want to give you some background, because there's a lot of things that could be confusing, a lot of terminology that maybe we're unfamiliar with. And so I want to give you some background and explain some things so that we all have a good understanding of the meaning of this passage. But then second, I want to talk about what we do with it. After we've learned the meaning, I want to talk about how do we actually live this out? What would it look like if we took Paul's words and applied them to our life today? So on a first reading, I know it can be confusing. Like we're hearing things about circumcision and mutilation and dogs and, and trying to figure out how can a gain be an actual loss. And so we're going to dive into that as we get ready to look at each section smaller section by smaller section, and then at the end talk about how we can actually work through this and apply this. So in those opening verses, <clears throat> we read, Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. There's two blatant instructions that Paul gives us in this chapter. The first is to rejoice in the Lord, and the second is to watch out for those dogs. Now, I don't think he's talking about watching out for Georgia Bulldogs here, so I think we have to ask ourselves, who are these dogs? What is going on? Why do we need to be watching out for them? There's a group of people in the New Testament that were called Judaizers. And um, just because our Bible kind of has this 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, people were still living, obviously, during that time. And so there was not just this one day that the people woke up and it's like, oh, we're in the New Testament now. They were living and they were experiencing their culture, embracing what it looked like to be a Jewish person up until the time of Jesus. They continued out their lives. And so there was this group of Judaizers. And what the Judaizers were, they were groups of people who had become Christ followers. But they had grown up in their Jewish culture, their Jewish tradition. And they had a hard time believing that the Gentiles, the heathens, could actually come into a relationship with Jesus 
without having followed all the rules and all the customs of what it meant to be a Jewish person. And so Paul is giving a warning. Now, based on what we understand so far, it's not necessarily that there was this group of Judaizers that was trying to come in and infiltrate the church at Philippi and turn everything upside down. But what Paul was saying is be on guard. Be on the lookout. Because one of the things that the Judaizers were specifically trying to accomplish was to tell these new Christians, these new Gentile believers, that they also had to be circumcised. As you can imagine, that didn't go over well with a group of grown adults, especially a group of grown men. And so the problem, though, was not so much about them coming in and trying to talk about circumcision. The problem is not with that. The problem is not whether you should circumcise your sons now. The problem was that they were trying to add on to the message of grace. We know that when we want to come into a relationship with Jesus, that there's nothing in our own strength that we can do. It's truly based on just having that faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. And so what this group of Judaizers were trying to do was say, okay, yeah, it's faith in Jesus plus. And anytime we try to add on to the message of faith, we mess it up. Now, you may not be a math person, but here's an equation that I think you'll be able to follow. And that equation is that Jesus' grace is enough. And we have to believe in it. We have to put our faith in action. I'm not saying that that there's not um, right things and there's not wrong things, that we can just go and live and do whatever we want and God's grace is in them. But when we try to try to earn our salvation, we mess it up. If there's anything that we are telling people that we have to believe in Jesus and also do this, we've messed up the equation. And if we've started trying to add anything else onto just that Jesus' grace is enough, then it's like we're canceling out the grace and we're trying to do things in our own strength. So the Christians in Philippi needed to be warned that these dogs may be trying to come to take what it means just to have that simple faith in Jesus And if they allow that to come into their midst, if they allow the works-based mentality to come into their midst, then it's going to suck the joy right out of their lives. Now, in verse 3, Paul goes on to say that we are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And that word flesh is a metaphor that's used all throughout the New Testament. And the word flesh really is just talking about what it looks like to have our own sinful desires, our human nature, things that we want that are outside of God's perfect plan for us. And so when we choose to crucify the flesh, like Paul talks about in another letter, when we crucify that flesh, it's almost like we're cutting off that fleshly part of us. And so in a sense, we're experiencing a spiritual circumcision, even if not a physical one. So Paul goes on to tell his story. And he says, if you guys want to get really technical, if the Judaizers want to come and try to start adding on to what it means to be a Christ follower, don't worry, because I'll one-up you no matter what you've got to add. In verses 5 and 6, Paul then shares that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And the first time I read that, I was like, man, Paul really sounds cocky and arrogant. Like, who does he think he is just laying out all of his accomplishments like that? 
what I learned was that in that time period, that was just the normal rhetoric of the day. That's how they communicated. That's how he would have spoken. It's how he would have written. And so his listeners wouldn't have heard it as him being arrogant or cocky or conceited. His listener would have heard it as authenticity. And so with that authenticity, then it would have carried on authority with his message. His pedigree set him apart. There were things in his life that were completely beyond his control. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's his family's doing. Being born out of this line of Benjamin, which would have been the cream of the crop. Not his doing, nothing he could have done about that. It just happened to him. But it set him up for success. But then beyond that, there were things that were within his control, things that he did choose to do. He became a Pharisee, the years it would have taken, all the laws of the Torah that he would have had to have followed to be able to say he was faultless. Those were things that were within his control. And he says, no matter what you're asking, if it's things that I had no control over or the things that I could have chosen to do, I'm faultless. But let's not make it about that. Now, in reading that list, um, I definitely can relate to a lot of that. Dedicated as a baby, grew up in church. Again, things that were beyond my control. I didn't control the family I was born into. But then I grew up, growing up in church, choosing to then participate in Bible study clubs where we would have these programs and I had the vest and the patches and the pins and earned plaques for memorizing certain passages of scripture and having my perfect Sunday school attendance awards, who could name all 66 books of the Bible by memory the fastest. Like All of these things were part of my upbringing. In a lot of ways, I can relate to Paul. Growing up, going on missions trips, never walking away from my faith in high school and college, that's part of my story. Some of that is part of what I could control, some of it I had no control over. But the problem is when we begin to base our relationship with God on our list of accomplishments and the list of our achievements, rather than on what he has done for us. In verse 7, Paul says that whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul could have easily let who he was and the things that he did and the things that he accomplished be how he determined his value, be how he determined his spiritual worth, be how he reflected on his relationship with God. But he didn't let those things be the defining marker of his life. And if we're not careful, our list of all of our achievements Or maybe our lack of them. Maybe you didn't grow up in church and you have no idea what a sword drill would be where you're trying to rapidly look up a specific Bible verse the fastest. Maybe that wasn't part of your upbringing. If we're not careful, we can easily let our achievements become how we determine our own spiritual value. And for Paul, he recognized that even the good things that he did were not nearly as valuable as knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord and what he gained by being in relationship with him. If Paul was trying to determine his net worth and make a list of all of his assets, he says none of his accomplishments would make the list. 
In fact, he calls them completely worthless. And the NIV uses the word garbage. Other translations use the word like filth or refuse. If you go to my friend, the King James Version, which was part of all those scripture passages I had to memorize to get my certain badges and my pins, if you go back to that, you'll see that it actually uses the word dung. Now, that word was not used lightly. If you go back and you look at the original Greek, you would see that that was a word that would have been pretty provocative. It was intended to be vulgarity because he wanted to drive home a point. He didn't want this to think that, okay, one man's trash is another man's treasure. This is not something that you want to carry along with you. It's not something that you should be proud of. He said, I carry it or consider it as dung. And then he says, but here's what I consider important. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. He doesn't talk about his accomplishments. He doesn't talk about all the things that he wishes that he would do for him, like plant another hundred churches or lead 50 prison guards to Christ. He says, I just want to know him. Verse 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying he wants to go on this full transformative journey with Christ. We experience that power of his resurrection initially when we first become Christ followers. When we make that commitment to choose to follow Jesus, But then the part of us that was dead experiences Christ's resurrection power and we become spiritually alive. And then beyond that, we move into the participation with his sufferings. And that's the portion of our lives where we're going on this fully transformative journey. The theological word that we use for that is sanctification. And Kalikas talked a good bit about that last week. Where we're crucifying the flesh, we're saying no to the things that don't look like Jesus, and we're saying yes to living a life that would be modeled and followed after him. And then finally, he says that he wants to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that's the final part. And the the church word that we use for that is glorification. Glorification is what happens when we leave this earthly life behind and we end up in God's presence in heaven. And I think when we get there, We're not going to be nearly as worried about the mansions. We're not going to be as worried about the golden streets. We're not going to be thinking about the pearly gates like what we think about here on earth so much of the time. I think in that moment when we finally get to experience God's perfect presence as a glorified spirit, when we're in his presence completely unhindered, there's no sin, There's none of this human earthly stuff that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. We're going to be so astounded at what it's like to be perfect and in the presence of a perfect God. And that's what Paul is looking for, this whole journey, starting from having been spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive, all the way through until that moment where he is perfected and in God's perfect presence. So we've looked at the background Hopefully I filled in some gaps if there were things that were confusing, things that maybe you didn't know or understand before. But now we need to figure out what do we do with this? When we read scripture, there's two things that I think we should always be asking. And one is what does it mean? And two, how do we apply it? The meaning should be the same for the church at Philippi as it is for here at One Hope Church. But how we apply it not only looks very different from 45 A.D., 
2023, but it also looks different from me compared to you. And so I'm not gonna be able to tell you exactly how to go and live this out, but I hope I'll be able to ask enough questions that'll get you thinking that the Holy Spirit can then talk to you and you can begin to identify how you live this out day to day. Regardless of what our occupation is or our marital status or how we live, I think we all end up with this one problem. And this problem is the fact that we see a gap between where we currently are and where we know we can ultimately be. We do this in our finances. We do this in our physical lives. I think we also can do this in our spiritual life. But the gap between where we are and where we know we can be can be a pretty disappointing place. And a lot of times we come up with our own solution of trying to figure out what to do. It looks like try harder, looks like do better, looks like strive more. Sometimes we see how big the gap is and we decide it's not even worth making the effort. And so we just go on day by day. Rather than trying to push through, we just decide to give up. If we don't like the way our spiritual life is looking right now, a lot of times we think we need to try harder to make a bigger effort to get up, to read our Bibles, to do our C-Fill Act books, to pray more, more than just when we can't find our keys and we're trying to figure out where we stuck them last. We go through this journey of trying to figure out, do we need to beat ourselves up because we did things that we promised we would never do again? Then we wonder what's wrong with us, and so then we try harder and just try to do better. A lot of us grew up in church settings where we were told everything that was wrong with us and everything we needed to change and everything we needed to fix and everything we needed to stop this or stop that. Or maybe we heard all the things that we needed to do every day for an hour if we wanted to be able to experience God's grace and God's presence. When we psych ourselves up to try to just live this try hard, do hard kind of life, it makes us miserable because we're not doing it, like Paul said, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing it in the power of our flesh, the part that should have been cut off and each of us are here today for different reasons. Um, some of us are searching for something. We've tried all that we know to do, and we're trying to figure out how do we fill this gap, this hole that's in our lives. Maybe you're here because you're supposed to, whether you're young enough that someone physically forced you to get in the car and come this way, or you just grew up and you know that this is the thing that you're supposed to do because it's Sunday morning. Maybe you're here because you genuinely want to be, that this is where you would choose to be if you could be anywhere on a Sunday. You want to be challenged in your relationship with Christ because like Paul, you want to know him and you want to continue to be more like him every day. We're all in different spots on our journey and some of us haven't made that first decision to follow him. And so all you know to do right now is try harder you've not experienced that love and that grace with the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to you. So you're stuck just trying to live up to some moral code that you think is going to make you a good person. Some of us have made the decision to follow Jesus, but we haven't been able to shake off those try-hard habits. Some of us have the personality that lends us to wanting to be that achiever, that goal-setter, and so it makes sense that it just carries over into our spiritual lives. And then we don't end up ever feeling like we measure up. 
Some of us are so miserable in this try-harder life that we try to drag others and bring others along with us on that miserable try-harder journey. And we start telling other people everything that they need to do to try to make their lives better and get their lives right. We start adding something else, that Jesus plus something, to what he offered us for free with the sacrifice of himself. And some of us have learned how what it looks like to serve God by his spirit, not feeling confident in our own flesh, not beating ourselves into submission, but being confident in the work that was already done by him. I had a ministry mentor once who asked me to describe my relationship with Christ. And as he and I were talking, I started off with, here's all the things that I do on a daily basis. Here's the amount of time that I spend listening to worship music, and then here's how much time I read my Bible. And of course, it's on the King James Version, read your Bible in a year plan, because there's no other way to read your Bible, right? You've got to read through it in a year. And then this is how much time I spend praying and the Bible studies that I've read and led and, and all these things. And I got to the end, and I expected him to be kind of impressed with my daily list of here's all the things that I do, and it should be what I'm doing, right? When I got done, he said, it sounds like you just described your to-do list. It doesn't sound like you described a relationship. He said, tell me about your relationships with your friends. So I picked a friend that I was close to at that point. I'm like, well, I love going to this person's house. We, we just get together most of the time. We don't have a plan. We just hang out and we'll talk about anything and, and we just live life together. Just whatever's happening, we're involved in each other's lives. And he said, that's more of what the relationship with God should look like. It should look like how we would describe a relationship with a friend because Jesus should be our friend not some taskmaster, not some list of obligations that we have to do in order to try to earn his grace or his favor. It should look like a relationship that we have with a friend. One of my favorite musicals is Fiddler on the Roof. And Fiddler on the Roof is set really early 1900s in Russia with this Jewish family. And the, the husband, the father figure in this family, Tevye, he has all these daughters, and they were part of arranged marriages at that point. He himself had an arranged marriage to a woman he hadn't met before his wedding day, and he has all these girls, and these girls are growing up and realizing that they don't want to just follow their customs of how they had always been raised. They're choosing to marry for love now instead of the fact that they were assigned this marriage partner. And as his oldest daughter has made this commitment to go marry the boy that she loves instead of the one that she was originally matched with, Tevye comes into his wife, and he's explaining what's happening, that he's allowing his daughter to go marry the one that she really wants to be with. And he asks his wife, Golda, he says, do you love me? Her response in that moment is, well, Tevya, of course I love you, and they sing the song, and it's, it's a great song. Like, I, I'm doing all these things for you. I wash your clothes, I raised your kids, I cooked your meals, he's a farmer, so she's like, I milked your cow. I did all of these things. And he says, but do you love me? And every time he asks, do you love me, she continues on with all these other examples of the things that she did for him. And what I think is the saddest line in the song is when she gets to the end, it's after 25 years, why worry about love right now? 
She'd done all these things to prove that she was going to be his wife. But there was no love in the middle of their relationship. Most of us don't come to know Jesus on our deathbeds. Most of us have time to walk out this transformative journey. Most of us have time to be able to experience the love of being in a relationship with Jesus. That it's not just about, did I metaphorically wash his clothes and cook his meals and milk the cow and raise his kids? Did I do all these things? That's not what he's asking. He's asking this morning, do you love me? And so I want to ask you this morning, how would you describe your relationship with God? And then I want to ask you, and you don't have to write all these down, use them to just introspectively ask yourself, like, where do you find your spiritual value? How do you determine if you're being a success spiritually? Where are you putting your confidence? Is it in your flesh? Is it in the list of things that you do and accomplish? Or is it in the relationship that you have with him? If Jesus came and stood in front of you and asked, do you love me, what would your answer be? Would your answer be, well, of course I love you, God. Here's all the things that I've done. I've been at the church for 25 years. I've never missed a Sunday, or I've read my Bible every year. I've done all these things. Or would it sound like a relationship? A lot of you have probably seen um, these little bag dispensers at the park that are for picking up dog poop when you walk your dog. I don't have a dog. Thankfully, I've never had to use them, but they're now a visual for me. Because we have these things, and when we use them to scoop up that dog poop, it's not something that we want to just throw in the back of our car and forget about. It's not something we can go deposit at the bank. It's not something that's going to be considered valuable. It's stuff that we want to get rid of. Paul says that his accomplishments are about as valuable as that. And I'm not saying that reading our Bibles are not a good thing. It is. I'm not saying that disciplines shouldn't be incorporated into our day-to-day lives because they should be. But when we're standing in front of Jesus and he asks, do you love me, and we pull up our list of accomplishments, it might as well be as valuable as that bag of dog poop. Because in comparison to knowing him, in comparison to having that relationship with him, Paul says it's worthless. And I have to ask myself, what's more valuable? Is my resume of all the good Christian things that I've done, what's most valuable? Or is it my quiet, private, hidden, authentic relationship with Jesus? Paul tells us what he would pick. He tells us, I want to know Christ. Where you go from here is going to depending on where you are in your relationship with him. For some of you, this is step one. Step one is coming to commit to having that relationship with him. If you've not started that journey and you want to, you can. I'll be glad to talk to you. Anyone around you would probably be glad to have that conversation with you to talk about what it means to begin that initial relationship with Jesus. And if you've taken step one and then you're caught up in this try harder, do more, prove your love for him kind of life, I want you to know that there's more. That there's a better option. 
that life spiritually doesn't have to be this miserable journey where we're trying to add up all the things that we do for him, that it can be like this beautiful relationship that we get to walk out side by side. Maybe some of you have already figured out what that looks like. And if that's the case and you know what it's like to not have to live in this burdensome, try-hard kind of life, then maybe it's time you have a conversation with someone and help them figure that out on their part of the journey. You get to be a part of discipleship now and bring others along with you in the process. We're all in different places, and if I stood up here and said, you need to do this, and then this, and then this, then I'm just contributing to the problem. I don't want to be one of the dogs that says or tries to give any indication that there's something more to it than faith in Jesus. But today we all have a choice. Today it's up to you and the Holy Spirit, honestly, to be able to tell you what's next. Are there things that in the posture of humility that it's time to let go where you realize that that you've put so much of your value as to who you are as a person and as a Christian on how long you've been coming to church and the studies you've led and the books you've read and all those things? Is it time to come and humble yourself and say, God, I've done all these things, but my relationship with you is not where it actually needs to be. Is it time to come and say, God, I think I have figured out how to have a good relationship with you, but now give me opportunities to help someone else live this out so that they don't have to live the miserable life that so many people experience. Or maybe you're like, I have no idea what in the world she's talking about, and it's time that I go get some answers. Wherever you are, this is personal. And as our worship team comes back out, I want you to know altars are open. Whether it's something I've said, whether you've got some personal family things that are going on, you can come. And know that people are probably going to come along beside you and support you, and you don't have to share what's going on. You can. But know that you don't have to walk this journey out alone. That we are all here together as we go on this process from that initial relationship with Jesus to that glorification moment. And we get to walk together for the part in the middle. So Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to not have to live things out in the flesh. That we're able to experience love from you and that we're able to walk out that love, that, that the things that we want to do, the, the reading our Bible, the, the praying, God, I know that they're important, but help us to do it out of this overflow of love for you and not out of trying to prove our love for you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would show us where we need to go from here. If we need to humble ourselves and admit that we've tried to base way too much on our own achievements, and not on what you have done for us, speak to us. If it's time to show someone else what that journey can look like, put someone on our heart, put someone on our mind. Father, I thank you that you are here, and I thank you that your grace is always enough because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. 
If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.